Sox fans, welcome to Good Guys Talk Back, a fan-centric Chicago White Sox podcast for the love of the Sox. Hosted by Nick Borowski and Pat Hester. Hey Sox fans, welcome to Good Guys Talk Back, episode 123. I am Nick Borowski and this is a fan-centric local Chicago White Sox podcast recording just blocks from the ballpark in Bridgeport. Uh, Luis Robert is back with the White Sox, and in honor of that, we decided to record a brand new episode. Pat Hester not with me uh, today, but I am very lucky to be joined uh, from MLB.com Sox beat writer Scott Merkin. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. How far exactly are you from the ballpark, would you say? I am I am two blocks. I am two blocks. Uh, I'm on, really I'm on, is local. <laughs> I am very local. I'm on 36th, um, like 36th and Wallace. So it's uh do you, yeah. Do you rent out parking for the game or you don't have that kind of uh, you know what? I should probably start thinking about it uh, as uh, October Special looms here. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um Scott, it uh, it is uh, awesome to have uh, Luis Robert back in this lineup. Uh, went two for five yesterday. Uh, immediate presence felt. Made a play out in center. Um, do you get a sense, Scott, of of what the plan might be for his playing time moving forward? Yeah, I think first of all, you know, I got a lot of grief going into the trade deadline because people, I don't think, looked at it that. I, I get they were fired up. They were looking for additions. They want to win the World Series. I understand that. But even with Kimbrell coming in and Tapera coming in and Hernandez, who's been great at second, even though I, I really like Madrigal as a player, um, you know, the biggest additions they were going to have at the trade line, even though they belong to the organization already, probably more so because they belong there, were the returns of Eloy Jimenez, Luis Robert, and eventually Yasmani Grandel. Because these are guys who go every day, who are the heart of your lineup, heart of your defense, and Robert, and you don't have to give anything up for him. You just make a few roster moves and for the most part, keep guys that you want. And so, you know, I think it was huge. And you've seen what Jimenez has done, you know, in the last few games as we tape this, he's just killing the ball. Maybe one of the best, you know, power hitters in the game right now at this young age and this, you know, early part of his career. But I think Luis Robert, partially because of the injury, partially because this is how Tony LaRusse is playing it. He's going to play a lot, but you know, he's got to get his timing back. He's got to get in the game, but they're, being careful. They've won this division. I, I don't care how, you know, if Tony, I get it, superstition, you know, they don't want to claim anything. That's that's a bad look anyways. If you come here in uh, August, you know, the beginning of August and say, oh, yeah, Indians stink. We got this. You know, the Indians don't have what it takes. You can't say that, obviously. You never know what's going to happen. But they're going to win it. So they have plenty of time to line things up, line their rotation up, get guys as healthy and as fresh as possible. It's like people have complained about, a little bit with, you know, Andrew Vaughn sitting like three of the last six. Andrew Vaughn's going to play every game in the postseason. I can almost guarantee that because he's that big a weapon. And, you know, he's above his career high for at-bats and innings and games. So you got to be, you know, careful with him. So let him sit against the Cubs. Let him sit against Minnesota. Maybe he doesn't, you know, win rookie of the year or finish top two or three because of that. But, man, I'd rather, you know, if you're the Sox, you want him getting a big hit in game five of the first round or game three of the first round, then winning the rookie of the year. So I think Robert will play. They'll be very careful with him. Just like they're going to be very careful with all the starters. Yeah. Um, I, I'm going to follow up with just some more outfield, I guess, conversation. Uh, like you had mentioned, uh, Aloy, his presence has felt uh, already four home runs in the last two games, uh, impressive home runs. Uh 
uh, you know, he's gotten to 50 career home runs as a White Sox. That's the fastest in history. Um, he was DH last night, uh, where his uh, obviously playing left field for the Cubs. Uh, the, the big question, you know, obviously a lot of fans talk about it constantly, uh, left field DH. I mean, do you think there's a sense, a consistent sense of where he's going to be playing uh, as, the, as the year unfolds and then even into October? Yeah, I think he'll probably DH more. You know, I said the other night when he had the, the big game against the Cubs, they should, you know, put him out in left field if he feels more. Put it this way, his defensive shortcomings are not as glaring as his offensive prowess. So if he feels more comfortable, especially in the regular season, playing the outfield, then use him when you can in the outfield. I get in the playoffs, all bets are off. You're trying to win every game. You're trying to get 11 wins because they're not going to be in the wild card as quickly as you possibly can. So, you know, Jimenez has got to deal with the fact that he's going to DH in the postseason. Yeah, I think Jimenez can hit anywhere. I think you can play him at short. You could catch him. You could pitch him, and he's still going to hit the baseball. But just, you know, this is not Jermaine just to him. There are a lot of guys, you know, Frank Thomas did not love DHing. He liked playing first base. Was Frank Thomas a gold glove winner at first? Nah, he was, you know, decent at times, but not spectacular. But he didn't, he liked being the field. Jose Abreu, who has gotten very good defensively at first base, worked his butt off to get there, does not like DHing. People like being in the game. When you got to remember when you DH, and it's kudos to guys like Frank and David Ortiz and Edgar Martinez and Harold Baines, and I'm sure I'm forgetting some glaring ones, that have done it so well because, you know, you're up in the first, like, take the game against the Cubs. I think it was Friday. First and third, one out. Let's say Aloy's DHing, hits the double play to end the inning. Well, if you're not playing the field, that's what you think about, basically. I mean, you watch the game, you're into the game. That's personally, that's what you think about until you're next at bat. You're in the field, you forget about it right away, and you're like, I got to focus because I got to make plays out here. So I get you're more engaged in the game, but I think, you know, for the most part, he's going to be the DH, especially because Vaughn has been so solid. You know, I don't know if he's spectacular, but he's certainly very good in the outfield, you know, left or right. And then, of course, you have Adam Engel, who's a Gold Glove finalist, and Luis Robert, who might be, you know, the best defensive center fielder. I mean, you know, Mike Trout's hurt right now, so Robert might be the best defensive center fielder in the American League. So you have a lot of good options. Don't forget Brian Goodwin either. But I think Jimenez will DH quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Engel. Uh, he's in the lineup uh, tonight, game two against Minnesota. Um, you know, I talk about this a lot with Pat, my co-host and, and other Sox fans on social media. And it's, a, it's a lot of obviously ranting and raving over Lurie Garcia's playing time, especially recently. He was in the lineup yesterday for Robert's first game, which was kind of surprising to a lot of people, uh, as the season continues to unfold and, and maybe there's going to be a consistent outfield that forms. Do you think Engel will get the bulk of the starts in right field? I think, first of all, Leary Garcia has had some big hits for that team this year. It's just that he's played more than they probably designed at the start of the year. He's a very good kind of super seven. That's not taking anything away from his ability. That's just what he's designed to be. Play third, play second. When Tim Anderson gets a break, play short, play all three out. I think he's done everything but catch and play first base, much like Danny Mendick, you know, who's with Charlotte right now. But, you know, I, I think it's going to be interesting in the outfield because of the fact your best defensive outfield is probably, you know, Vaughn, Robert Angle, but your best offensive outfield is probably Jimenez. Well, no, if Jimenez is DHing, then it's probably, you know, I mean, it's probably the same thing, actually. I mean, it, it's Angle's an interesting case because Angle really has kind of turned a corner, you know, and he did it last year, even. You know, he was good in the playoff series last year. He was good all short and 60 game season last year. He can hit, you know, he's figured out offensively, and it was there before, you know, he won the Arizona Fall League batting title years back. So, I mean, the pedigree is always there to be a hitter. 
And he's also, you know, right there with Robert in terms of defensively, although he defers to Robert and says even Robert makes some plays that he's shocked by. But it's going to be interesting to see what, you know, Tony has choices. You know, he's got Brian Goodwin, too. I don't think Brian Goodwin is quite the defensive player that Angle or Robert is. And you want Vaughn's bat in the lineup. So I, I think, you know, however you configure it, you got to have Vaughn in there. You got to have Amenez in there. So then you figure out from there. Do you play matchups yeah. then? If it's a tough righty in the playoffs, maybe Goodwin gets to start in right field or Leary gets to start. If it's a lefty or you have confidence against the righty, then it's Angle. You know, I don't think Angle is going to be every day, but I think he'll play more often than not out there. Yeah. Uh, we saw uh, Gio have I a, have one a, more thing. You know, one more thing yeah. in that Grant now when he comes back, I think one of the key things in his rehab is how much can he catch? You mm-hmm. know, because, you know, tendon torn removed from his knee and he's looking great. I mean, it's amazing. You know, I mean, I get up in the morning and stretch and feel like oh, there's, there's a back pain and there's a knee pain. And this guy had knee surgery and like two weeks later, he's running sprints on the field, which is just crazy to me. But anyways, you know, I mean, I don't know if he's, you know, what his catching is going to be now. You know, it was a slow climb back for him after the injury. He twit, he had something with his right knee in spring training and that was a slow progress. And in April, they kind of limited his catching, you know, they did not let him catch more than a couple times a week. So is there going to be any kind of, you know, a restriction come September, come playoff time. And then what do you do? Because you got to have his bat in the lineup too, obviously. So then yeah. that adds a thing. If like, let's say there's a game, he's got a DH, then do you go take your chances in the outfield and go, you know, Jimenez, Robert Vaughn, with Grandal DHing and then, you know, lose maybe a little bit defensively because of that. So it's, there's a lot of, interest. I mean, as Tony has said, as Rick Hahn has said, as Kenny Williams said, it's a good problem to have when you have too much talent and that's what the Sox have right now. Yeah. Uh, l- let me stick with catching for a little bit. Um, you know, the curious case of Zach Collins and where uh, Sebi Zavala has come in kind of out of nowhere uh, watching Gio's game last night, and you got to credit, I would think, Sebi for calling a, a heck of a game. And I know other, you know, pitchers have called Sebi out for for calling a great game. Um, what what becomes of Collins moving forward? I I feel, you know, I just don't have confidence in his bat. I I don't think they ever really looked at him as a catcher. I mean, moving forward, when Grandel comes back, is he a guy that you know uh, gets sent down? Well, remember also, he's the guy who caught Rodon's no-hitter. I believe he was behind the plate when uh, Rodon almost threw the no-hitter in Detroit, right, where uh, the missed call led to the Haas double in, like, the seventh inning. And he's caught Rodon, and Rodon's one of the best pitchers in the American League this year. So I wouldn't write him off completely. He's not hit the ball well of late. You know, he does have a good batting eye up there, but he has not, you know, made a lot of – he's not made a lot of significant contact. Zavala is not known for his offense. He had that one great three-home run game and that crazy – 12-11 12-11 loss to Cleveland, but he's done a great job behind the plate. And he's always been known as there's a little consternation a few weeks back about, you know, with Mercedes where I think, you know, part of it might've been that Zavala got called up and his average was lower than Mercedes, but they need a catcher. You know, they need a guy who they can trust catching. This is not about, you know, who's hitting the best. They have offense to burn now with Jimenez back and, you know, Robert. And that's not taking anything away from your mean because he carried this team in April. He was, you know, tremendous in April. They're probably not without what he did in April. So but I think Zavala right now is probably the number two guy behind Grandal and might be, you know, the guy who, if Grandal cannot catch in a specific playoff game, is the guy who starts. And then it's it's a question of how many catchers you need in a playoff roster. You know, usually you keep an extra catcher. You know, there's not as many call-ups anymore in September. So are one of those, you get to call up an extra catcher. Is Grandal not even back until the start of September? There's a lot of stuff going on that you got to, you know, kind of figure out. But Zavala's yeah. very impressive. 
and very, yeah. very much different look about him than his first time up here where he really, I don't want to say didn't have a chance, but he really didn't show a lot offensively. You know, there wasn't a lot of, there, there wasn't a lot of confidence, even for a guy who's catching first by watching him his first time up here when a couple of years ago. And now you see him, you know, he's still not going to hit 300, but look at the game Friday, you know, big hit, I believe against Kyle Hendricks, right. With two strikes to single home a run. I don't think he does that his first time up. You know, Kyle Hendricks is not only the gold standard of that cup staff, which is not, you know, it's kind of like being the tallest short person. He's a very good pitcher. He's one of the most consistent pitchers. It's a strange thing with that staff is that, you know, I think they're like 10 and 29 in their last 39 games and Hendricks has not lost in 16 straight starts. So that shows you a little bit how good Hendricks is. And Zavala, you know, I think I have this right, that it was Zavala who got the hit, you know, to, to increase that lead on uh, – mm-hmm. it was one of the games. I'm pretty sure it was yeah. against him. But he's shown the propensity to, to get big hits. So I think he, right now he's moved himself into the second spot in that in that rotation. Yeah, uh, he uh, – you know, Gio just looked really comfortable throwing to him last night. Gio had a great game. You know, it was against the Twins. And, you know, just going back, uh, you know, a few starts for Giolito – uh, you know, he struggles, then he kind of has a successful outing and then struggles. And, you know, I'm looking at the schedule coming up, Yankees, Oakland, Tampa, Toronto. Uh, there's some, some some competition here this August for the White Sox. Do you think Gio's finally turning a corner where we can get a, maybe a better sample size of consistent starts out of him? Yeah, you know, this is going to be a real interesting – and by the way, it was against Kyle Hendricks. I looked it up just to make yeah. sure I had um, – <laughs> This is going to be a real interesting run, not just for Giolito, but the Sox. You know, they they finished with the Twins, who are horrible. The Cubs are, you know, by design, horrible. And that's fine, because that's what you're supposed to do. When you're a team, you know, I don't think that should be lost in the fact that the AL Central is really bad, is the fact that the Sox are really good. You know, I mean, it's not their fault that Cleveland lost their rotation. It's not their fault that Detroit and Kansas City are rebuilding. It's not their fault that Minnesota is the most disappointing team in baseball this year. They've been really good. It's not like that. You know, they're really good. On, I mean, they have a decided over 500 record against bad teams, but they've been competitive. And here's the thing, it, you know, it'll be a good barometer, but it doesn't matter in the long run because all you got to do is get there. So, you know, they're what? They finished the year two and five against Houston, right? They lost all four there. And in a great series out of the break, they went two and one against Houston. It doesn't matter. It's not like they start, if they play Houston in the first round, they're down 0-1 because they didn't win the series. They may go in and sweep Houston three games, win decisively all three. Who knows? You know, it's it's all. I think Liam Hendricks pointed this out after the break in that he was with Oakland last year, and Oakland dominated Houston during the regular season and lost to Houston in the LDS. So you mm. never. I, yeah. I the question about Giulio. Giulio is a number one guy, you know, and even the best number one guys we've seen Chris Sale get hit a little bit in his prime. You know, Greg Maddox had some off games here and there. Randy Johnson. Yeah, I'm not saying. Giolito's at that level yet. He's not a Hall of Famer or anything like that. But Giolito's going to, you know, he, he attacks. He doesn't like walking guys. He's had like one or two games this year where he's actually not had control of the zone. So he's going to get hit a little bit. But, I mean, I, I'd still, you know, as great as Lynn's been this year and as great as uh, Rodon's been and as much progress as he's made, I think I'd still start Lucas Giolito as my number one guy in the postseason. And, you know, depending on where you're at, you either if you go like Giolito, Rodon, Lynn – then you have Lynn as, you know, your first guy back at home or your first guy on the road, depending on, you know, how your record point. But you can flip that, too, and have the same thing with Giolino. So, I mean, all these questions we're coming to that we're debating here goes to the bottom line that they have a ton of talent. You know, I mean, their rotation is set. They have a great one through five. You never see in the postseason, almost never that I can remember, 
all five starters being used in a playoff series. And the Sox might do that this year. Who knows? You know, I mean, they have five capable starters. And then if they don't, who is the guy who gets dropped out of that? You know, yeah. that's the interesting thing in the whole thing. Yeah, th- these are fun conversations right now. Stuff we've been waiting for for a long time. Uh, it looks like Carlos Rodon is going to get the ball uh, on the Field of Dreams game. And what he a story. It is, what, what a story he has been. You Speaking of number ones, uh, he sure has looked like it. Um, and I want to I want to appreciate and celebrate and just live in the moment uh, uh, of what he's been doing recently. And I don't want to look too far ahead, but you're tempted to. And I, I ask you, what do you see for the future of Carlos Rodon as a White Sox? You know, Carlos Rodon, who is, you know, I was just talking about that with someone today. He's was a number three pick overall in the draft. You know, he has had a lot of injury issues and some inconsistency. Uh, you know, he had Tommy John, he had shoulder surgery. He comes back last year and thrust into a bullpen role that he's not used to doing, was non-tendered, comes back on a one-year, $3 million deal, and has just been tremendous. And they've taken great care of Carlos. You know, I mean, there's was a stretch at the beginning where he was kind of like uh, the Friday night college pitcher, you know, where he was going like every five or six days instead of regular regular rest. But he's been fantastic. So I think he's earned the right. You know, and I think, I know he's earned the right to go out and test this market and see what his value is. I know him and his family love Chicago. They love the White Sox. There's another team in Chicago too that may interest him. Who knows? You know, you still get to stay in Chicago. That would that certainly needs an abundance of pitching. So, I mean, I, I think the the choices are his and the options are going to be vast, you know, especially if he finishes like he started and then pitches well in whatever chances he has in the postseason. So, you know, it's interesting. Next year you have Lynn already locked up. You have Giolito. You have, you know, another year of Keiko. You have Cease, and then, you know, Kopech is going into rotation, or so they have talked about. So what do they do? You know, I, I think if they can get Rodon back at a reasonable price, they get Rodon back still. But, you know, do, do you let him walk? Do you try and make a move with someone else? Not let him walk, but do you, I mean, he's going to explore the market. I don't see him, you know, signing before the end of the season. That would surprise me, you know, for sure. But, you know, we'll, we'll see what he has out there and how he finishes, but I don't want to guess at his salary, but he should get paid in this offseason. Absolutely. He's, you know, literally probably one of the top three with Cole and Lynn in the Cy Young right now in the American League. Yeah. Uh, pitching has obviously kept this uh, team together through everything that they've been through. Uh, the Sox needed to bolster their bullpen. They did at the trade deadline. Huge move uh, to bring Kimbrell onto this team. Uh were you surprised uh, that Nick Madrigal uh, left and Cody Hoyer, Hoyer left? That they uh, they kind of uh, those were the price tags, and they were the Sox were okay with uh, giving those guys up. I'm not surprised because if you want to win, you know, the two teams in different spots. Now they've reversed it. You know, I mean, you gotta if you want to win, you got to give something up. In 17, the Cubs wanted to repeat. You know, they they needed pitching. They wanted to keep Quintana away from Milwaukee, who was pursuing him also. And they gave up, you know, arguably, you know, one of the best power hitters in the game and a very solid rotation guy who could be elite in Dylan Cease. And, you know, it, it got them to the playoffs in 17. You know, they had a, a drag out fight against Washington in the first round and didn't make it, but they made the move they had to. And now it's benefited the Sox tremendously. You know, that, you know, they've gotten probably more in the long than that. Probably they have. They're going to get more in the long run from Jimenez and Cease than, you know, the, the Cubs did from Quintana. The Cubs did this in 16, where they traded, albeit a guy in Gleyber Torres who was still in the minors, but traded him what they knew was going to be Chapman for the rest of the year. And that was it. And they don't win that World Series in 16 without Aroldis Chapman. There's no doubt about that because their bullpen was kind of a mess at that point. And he stabilized the whole thing. 
So I think the Sox did the same thing. You know, Rick talked about that he was talking with Kenny and they both, they asked each other if there's one guy we can get, if we can't get anyone else, but one guy, who do we want? And they both said Kimbrell. And I think it's because, you know, the bullpen is good, but there were some shaky spots here and there. And now you have, geez, I mean, Kopech, Tapera, Kimbrell, and Hendricks, not to mention Crochet, you know, and that's, you know, Lopez for a little longer work, but you can get an inning out of him in key situations. That's pretty good, pretty good mix now. So that really addressed a weakness they had. In terms of what they give up, I think Hoyer's going to be a closer for the Cubs at some point in the future. He's looked very good in the short time he's been with the Cubs, and he looked very good last year with the Sox. And I think Madrigal is exactly what that Cubs lineup needs. Not to really Sox fans care what the Cubs lineup needs, but <laughs> he's a guy who makes contact, and that lineup has is loaded with swings and misses. And even when they had their prime guys here, it was loaded with swings and misses. So I think Madrigal is going to be very good on the Norris. I think this is going to end up being a very good baseball trade. You know, I think yeah. the potential of having Kimbrell for a year and a half, they have control over Madrigal and Hoyer. So I think it's a trade that really works for both sides. But we'll see if the payback right now for the Sox is 21 and 22 because, you know, they're going for it that, you know, they would like to win this year and repeat next year or at least one in one of the two years. And Kimbrell is going to be a key component of that push. Yeah, uh, I'm going to get you out on this one, uh, Scott. Okay. Uh, difficult uh, to really quantify, but it, it revolves around Tony Larusa. You know, they brought it up uh, in the Sunday uh, broadcast on ESPN. They they discussed the Yermin uh, Tony Larusa situation, and and they made a point of saying, uh, you know, there were people thinking that Tony couldn't deal with personalities like Tim Anderson or Jimenez. Uh, and, you know, for everything that has gone on, and, and it's tough to figure out like a manager war, uh, but how much credit do you give to, to Tony for everything that he's been able to navigate? And, and, and now that we're getting these pieces back and hopefully the machine starts, you know, just moving in the, in the direction we all thought it was going to be. Uh, is he a guy that you, you have to look at for American League Manager of the Year? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to I have that vote, so I don't want to say. For sure, he should or shouldn't. But I think he, you know, just out of the fact that this team is 67 and 46 when we're taping this, and they're, they weathered the storm with significant injuries to Jimenez, Grandal, Robert, Kopech was go- gone for a month. I, I know I'm missing someone in there, but I mean, and they've still, granted, against a, a bad division, but that's fine. They're still in complete control. It's not like they're against a bad division and they're five over and hanging on to a four game lead. They're competing for the top spot in the American League. So, yeah, I think, he, you know, I think he understands what it takes to win in October. And he understands that you can lose a game in May. You can lose a game in August by maybe sitting your key guys and giving them a rest. Like, you know, I guarantee you Tim Anderson is going to get a rest at some point this week, maybe tomorrow afternoon against the Twins before the Field of Dreams game on Thursday. But you can sit, guys, and if you win, that's great. But the key thing is having everyone fresh and lined up for, you know, October. This is a team that from the beginning – had their sight sets on the World Series this year, and that has not changed, even with the injuries. And, you know, I mean, it's it's you contrast it to the last time they won the division, which was in 08, and they needed every last out they could just to get in the playoffs. So by the time they got there, they had Quentin Hurt. They had all their pitchers used because they had to win, like, four straight games. I, I think they win three straight games against three different teams. They beat the Indians, the Tigers in a makeup game, and the Twins in order to get into the postseason. So, they you know, they needed every game. They couldn't take a break there. And they just weren't aligned against a better Tampa team at that point. This year, they're going to be aligned and ready to go. You know, buying something cataclysmic, they're going to have guys set up and ready to pitch and ready to play. And that's where Tony knows. He's won three World Series. I believe he's lost three World Series. But he's been to the World Series a bunch of times, more than anyone else on that team. 
and he knows what it takes. And I think that's what he's most concerned about. I don't think he cares about, you know, going in the locker room. And I mean, we're not in there at all, but hanging out and shooting the breeze. You know, he'll talk to players on the bench, talk to players in the field, but he's worried about winning these games and winning a championship for the White Sox. So, you know, I mean, and he understands new managers. Look at A.J. Hinch. You know, you rarely get a chance to come in and be with a good team, let alone a championship team. And he's got that situation and he's taken it and run so far. Yeah, exciting stuff. More to come. Uh, Scott Merkin, thank you so much for letting us steal some of your time. No problem. Anytime, Nick. Thanks for having me. Uh, Scott Merkin from MLB.com, Sox beat writer for many, many years. Uh, So great to talk with him. Folks, thank you so much for joining. Once again, good guys talk back. Uh, This was episode 123. I am Nick Morawski. You could find this podcast everywhere you find your podcast. Subscribe, pass it along, and check us out on the ShyCitySports.com website and on Twitter at GoodGuysTV. For Pat Hester, I am Nick Morawski. Until next time, go Sox!